Let's get started. Good morning once again to you here in the room and also to those people watching our live stream this morning or watching online later this week. Open your Bibles, please, to 1 Timothy chapter 5. We're going to be in verses 17 to 25 today. Alec, if we could have the screen back up one more time, that'd be great. No, not that one. That one. There we go. Um, We've been in, this is now the 10th week that we're in this series, and we've been going through our booklets, through missional community groups. I've been hearing lots of good things about uh, personal challenges, but also personal growth, and that's very encouraging. That's the whole point of it. That's why we do this at the Rock Church. We only ask you to, to do three things or commit to three things. Faithfully attend Sunday gatherings, faithfully attend a missional community group, and finally, faithfully, and we're going to get into this a little bit today, you're welcome, give and serve at the Rock Church. And, and so why do we do that, though? Well, it's called discipleship. We want to disciple you. We want to disciple one another. And so it starts here on Sundays where the word of we worship God, the word of God is proclaimed, we hear it, we, we wrestle with it, and then we go into community group, we wrestle some more. Why? Because we want the word of God to transform us. And so that's the whole purpose here. So we've been in this now. This is the 10th week of this amazing letter. Um, and uh, we're going to conclude chapter 5 this morning. And so far, we've, we've discovered a few times, it's going to be back on screen again one more time this morning, the key verse as to why Paul wrote this letter to Timothy. He said, so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the church. So this letter then, and uh, Titus, uh, pardon me, Second uh, Timothy and Titus, which Lord willing we'll get into next year, are called the pastoral epistles for a, a couple of reasons. One, they are written to pastors. Um, they're pastoral epistles, however, so they're not only for the information of the pastors, but for those who are listening to the preaching and teaching of God's word and the leadership and shepherding of the pastors in the church. And so that's an important part of it. So what we've learned from it is not only from that verse is it's about how we ought to behave, you know, our actions, but it's, it's also another word might be a good one. But as we learned last week, it's about how we might treat one another, right? How we might treat one another. And we saw that last week was, was related to how we treat one another as uh, younger men treating older men, younger women treating older women which is really uh, countercultural in our word, to, word today. Most people today who are younger go, yep, dinosaurs. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Not a lot of respect and or honor for those who are older than ourselves. And so we've seen uh, last week, it really started to get amped up that the whole point of what's going on in the household of God in the church is that our Jesus came. One of the reasons why he came, of course, was salvation. And that was the most important reason. But out of that was an incredibly important benefit. And that is that our relationships would be redeemed and restored. He came to reverse the effects of the fall. And so that our relationships in family, birth family, and right here in the blood-bought family, which we'll actually read about this morning, is where that takes place. And he came to, to resurrect that, to change that. So we, lo- we learned last week a lot about, about honor. The word honor is going to get repeated today in our text. And, of course, we saw that in relation to honoring widows who are truly widows. And it was a great teaching, challenging for sure, but it was, it was great. And also, I just, just as a point, I mean, it was, we planned back in April, May to be in that text last week. Actually, the Holy Spirit planned that. Because last week, we had visitors, and there were some stories within their families about widows and recent widows. That was very, very hard, but also a big blessing to them to have heard, not me, but the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, speak to that and them last week. And so today, 
the theme of honor continues in relation to our ruling elders. You ready for this? Let's read, beginning in verse 17 of chapter 5. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. This will be not on screen right now, please. Let the elders who rule well will be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you, Timothy, to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, um, thank you so much again for this day. Thank you for this week. Thank you for the uh, events of this week. Thank you for new birth (laughs) in the form of babies. Uh, Lord, that's so wonderful. Thank you for blessing uh, Rob and Jackie and us as a family as well with this little baby boy. Lord, what we desire more than anything else for him and for everyone else is new birth, that we would place our faith and trust in you, Jesus Christ, for our salvation, and then allow you, Holy Spirit, to do an amazing work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, transforming us into the likeness of our Savior. So we pray that even in our text for today, especially maybe even in our text for today, you will guide us and lead us in that way. And I pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen. So as many of you who've been with us for the last 14 years, I've heard me say on a repeated basis, there are lots of benefits to going through books of the Bible verse by verse. Lots of benefits. I mean, the the first key benefit is that we get to, over a period of time, uh, learn about the whole counsel of God. And even in the texts that we get into, because when we look at a text like we see today, we're going to be looking at, there's some Old Testament references to it. So the whole counsel of God is brought into not every sermon, but nuggets here and nuggets there and so forth. But going through books of the Bible that way is important. And that's the way we do this at the Rock Church. And we have for 14 years, and Lord willing, we will continue to do that. Um, It's good, but there's a bit of an issue. And the issue can be that you know, sometimes there are passages in the scripture, as we've been through in First Timothy, where you might be going, do we have to cover that? And, and what about me? <laughs> there, there are passages where you're like, I, I, I don't know if I, if I don't want, do I really want to talk about that? Like up front, right? Well, one of those subjects might be, here's a fun one for you. How about giving? Okay, so we're going to get to that actually today, but I'll just give you a little anecdote of what happened to me one time, and this is, this is something maybe you don't know. Oftentimes what pastors will do is they'll shy away from those subjects, and then in the summer when they're on vacation or a sabbatical, they'll invite other preachers to come to their church and they'll go, psst, preach on giving, okay? <laughs> right? Okay, no, seriously, it's a thing. It's a thing. I've never done that. 
Okay, I, I, I shouldn't. I don't think I have. Anyway, one time uh, many years ago, yeah, I was invited to a church in the Fraser Valley and uh, unnamed. And I, I simply said to the pastor, I said, look, what do you want me to cover? And he goes, you know, Glenn, I, actually, I, I know of a, a subject that you've covered before. And, and um, I, I would like you to preach on giving. And uh, I said, oh, okay. So um, it's part of my testimony, actually, uh, coming out of the business world and uh, striving to be a millionaire by the time I was 40. And yeah, anyway, so anyway, I take it from Luke 12 when I teach on giving, building bigger barns, etc. And so I said, fine. So I went to that church and I preached on giving. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I thought it went well. And afterwards, I, I thought it went well. And he, he thanked me very much for it. I found out a week later that half of his church left. Just kidding, just kidding, okay? Just, I know, I know. But, but anyway, uh, but it, there were some struggles in that church related to that, and so that can sometimes happen. Today's text could also be one of those texts, right? You heard what I read. It, it could sound a little self-serving because I'm an elder, I'm a preacher, right? And, and we're talking about something called double honor. But I want to put it this way. I love this text, and, and I honestly think that as your, uh, as your pastor... Um, and probably the person who this most replies to today, I'm the one who should be preaching it here today. So call me silly or brave. You pick the choice, whatever that might be. But I want to look at that with you because it is actually really important, and I hope you will stick with me till the end to see why. It's important. I mean, Paul thought it was important to write this to Timothy. Your sermon title for today is two words, honor versus dishonor. Number one honor. Let's look at our first verse for today, which will be on screen. Verse 17, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And so you'll remember uh, Paul's instructions uh, several weeks ago now to Timothy about how to set leadership in order in the local church, how to appoint elders. And he gave us some significant qualifications of what the office of elder should look like, what a man who's called to the office of elder should be like. And one word would sum sum up all of the aspects of an elder. And that word is not powerful, not strong, but the word is character. It needs to be a man who's of character, noted of character, or at least one who's going in that direction. So that's really, really important. He told in 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 to 3, that this person should be above reproach. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money, and he went on. So just to highlight some of the issues that are related to character, and that's how we determine who a person should be or what they should look like. So as Paul continues his instructions, again, back in verse 17, which will be back on screen, to Timothy, he speaks specifically of those elders who, and see the words here, yeah, highlighted, rule well. That's an important word that we see there, and and it's an important understanding that we need to have. It's actually where one of the verses, one of the areas where, and, and some people would even argue today in Christendom in North America, that maybe we should get away from the idea of calling people pastors. So there's some controversy about the understanding of what the word pastor means because some people equate it directly, pastor, elder, right? Yes, but it's also just the Latin word for shepherd. And so men and women can have the gift of being a shepherd, amen? 
<laughs> I believe they can. And so, but it's where we get the idea of something called ruling elders. Now, again, in our modern culture, it's like, oh, I don't know if I want people ruling, making decisions, especially over me. But that's where we get that idea from. And they hold this key office in the church. And so they are observed, what Paul's talking about here, and he's saying to Timothy, look for those who are ruling well, and specifically over the areas of spiritual concerns of the church. Uh, People who are definitely shepherding well, those who have oversight, are looking out for what we've already been through in this letter a few times, and we'll get it into it again before he ends, I think next week actually, wolves, false teachers. It's, it's a role of elders is to be on the guard for that. And that is not only necessarily in the church, but also in the form of podcasts, books, those kind of things as we've been over a few times. And so he says, look for them. And, he, and so the thing is, and this is our subject for today, is he says, look for those who are laboring, ruling well, laboring, especially in the preaching and teaching of the world, the word. So Paul then says something like this. Those among you who rule well should be considered worthy of something called double honor. And so what does Paul mean here by double honor? Well, last week we, we looked at that word in relation to widows, right? And we learned last week that the word is used a lot in the New Testament and in the Old. But specifically in the New Testament, we we are told that we are to honor who? Kids, our fathers and mothers. We're to honor them. I remember Jen and I went, uh, Dennis and I went up to Haida Gwaii, Queen Charlotte Islands, many years ago. And we ended up at uh, the Haida Haida Nation celebration. And I love this because, uh, well, first of all, I I personally do love First Nations people uh, across Canada. Uh, and they had the ceremony going on, and, and the men, it's kind of, it's, people call it a matriarchy up there, and it, kind of, but the, the guys are definitely, you know, doing their share too. But the men got up, and, and they, they said these things. One of the men with the headdress on and everything got up, and he said, I want to introduce you to you now some of, of the women whom we hold in high esteem. I never forgot that. That was, that was a really beautiful way to honor the women in that place and in that culture. And so that's one of the aspects of it is, is that also we're going to see, I think it's next week, uh, we're going to be seeing the word honor related to how we're to honor our masters. So it's an important word. And the word essentially, first and foremost, has in the Greek the idea of value, but specifically related to respect. Honor meaning respect. But also, again, last week we, we saw that, hold on, it goes further than that. In the case of qualified widows, and we were given some instruction as to what they look like and who they are and how old they are as well, um, that would also include financial support, emotional support, but it included a financial element. And so also we see in the New Testament that it's sometimes related to, and commentators agree on this, compensation given for a special or exemplary service would be one way to define the Greek word that we see here. And so scholars and commentators generally agree that Paul's use of the word double honor then means that at least two things should be happening in relation to this text. Number one, all elders should be honored for the role that they're in. We should honor our elders. We should have respect for them and their wives, but we should have respect for them. And then there is the case of those who are laboring in the preaching and teaching of the word, self-serving, I know, but it says that we should be doubly honoring them. And that means we should be 
giving them support financially. It's interesting, Paul, we saw this earlier about women's roles in the church. Remember that? That was fun, right? But he, he always gives a why. He always says, well, I say this, and then he always goes, why? Well, why, Paul? Well, verse 18 says, for, because, is another way of translating that word, the scripture says, it's not just Paul speaking here. It's not me just saying, like, I want you to support Timothy financially or Titus or me. The scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Made the point a few weeks ago that that word his is there. It is a pronoun in the Greek, and it is a man, his wages. So why? Well, because Paul uh, is basically saying, Timothy, you know, in the Old Testament, you know it's in an agrarian culture, you know how this works, right? If you're a farmer and you've got oxen, you know, plowing your field, plowing the grain, treading out the grain, then, listen, it would be bad for you, and some people were doing this, don't don't put a muzzle on them. Well, well, why would they put a muzzle on their cows or their oxen, pardon me? Well, because they didn't want them enjoying the grain. (laughs) We want as much of that grain in our barns because it's valuable, and, and actually, the teaching in the Old Testament was, don't do that to your oxen. Let them enjoy some of the fruits of their labors as well. And so that's important. And, and then also, he goes on and says, why? Because the laborer deserves his wages. So the scripture says. So both of these examples Paul gives to Timothy are from the Old Testament and were commonly understood to mean that those who labor in the ministry of the temple, the synagogue, the church, should be supported financially for their faithfulness. And so here we have Paul instructing Timothy and the church to be sure that they honor their elders who rule well with double honor. So that's the, the understanding of that. But let, let me, let's unpack that a little bit, okay? Let, let's get practical. I mean, Sure, this is 2,000 years ago in the church in Ephesus, and yeah, they needed to do that. But let's have a look at what that really means today. Uh, Like I said several weeks ago, uh, related to one of the more controversial subjects Paul teaches on in this letter, I've spent a lot of time uh, teaching over the past 25 years on biblical eldership in churches, not just here, but other churches, uh, even at Acts Seminary a little bit, not bragging here, but just I did get into that. So I've heard a lot of different teachings and arguments about this view and that view, and yeah, so I know I said at one time during that, that uh, sermon that, you know, like, I've heard all the... That's true. And that's why we at the Rock Church teach what we teach is because we believe at the end of the day that is um, the way the Word of God lays it out in its plain reading and understanding. Well, another interesting subject is what we're looking at here today, and it is actually giving, but also in relation to giving to pastors. Um, And there's some controversy about that out there. I don't know if you've ever heard that or if you've even felt it yourself. And so here's a good one. Actually, the bottom line is it comes down to, well, how much? How much money should a pastor be paid? Oh, this is going to be fun. Let me show a couple of examples for you. But uh, many years ago, I was, well, it's not that, maybe, well, it is for some of you. It was about 15, 20 years ago. I was in a church in the Lower Mainland, was invited by the elder team to be part of Uh, the team, not so much as an elder, but also to be teaching them about eldership, uh, but also related to a subject that had come up at that time. And we, we, you know, this is a lower mainland, it was an urban area, uh, and um, uh, uh, cost of living was increasing like crazy, cost of housing was going up, and mortgages were going up, and sound familiar? Hmm? 
This is like 20 years ago though, right? And so, and so the idea was we need to review our pastor's salary, right? So the elders, you know, called for a meeting and it was, it was great. And I, I was in business at that time and I was making more than I make today. And, and so I'm just saying, but I, I was there and, and I was thinking about it and we were trying to look at, you know, comparables in the marketplace and we were looking at his salary. And I said to the elders that were there, I went, I, I couldn't live on that. C- can any of you live on that? One of the gentlemen that was there said, you know, I just feel that someone in full-time ministry, there should be an element of faith. I just, I'll just let that sit there for you, okay? I felt like saying to that gentleman at that time, do you live that way? <laughs> do you want to go to your employer and say, I'll take 40% less because I want to live by faith? <laughs> uh, if, again, you've been at the Rock Church for very long, we've been over this before where I like to point this out for your benefit. We're all in full-time ministry. We're all in full-time ministry. The only difference between you and myself is the way in which God directs our paychecks. Meditate on that for a bit. Uh, Many years ago um, at the Rock Church, this is another little anecdote for you. Uh, We had an AGM, which we we have usually every year. COVID has put a bit of a a wrinkle in some of that. But uh, so at the AGM this particular year, I'm the only paid staff member at that time. And so the the numbers, the finances were put on, on the board, right? And, uh, you know, my salary was there. It was like right out there. I don't, how many of you, like, make your salary public? <laughs> okay, this is, I'm having fun with this. I don't know about you, but. So anyway, that's, that was what's happened. And then what I found out was about a week later, there was a missional community group, and they'd had their meal, and they sat down, and they were, like, a conversation. And one individual said, before we get anything going on here, we need to talk about the elephant in the room. Guess what the elephant in the room was? My salary. It was interesting. Apparently, that person felt it was too much. A um, couple of things on this. Early in the ministry of Billy Graham, um, many of you, if you don't know him and didn't see him, you know his name. Uh, his crusade started to become incredibly popular. He was paid out of the love offerings for those crusades. And what began to happen is... Uh, he became quite eloquent, and he was a great evangelist. Thousands of people were coming out, and the love offerings really grew. And, and he was given a percentage of the love offerings. He just felt at one particular time, he went to the head of uh, his uh, crusade organization and said, you know, I am a little uncomfortable with this because the amount was going up considerably. And the reason why he was uncomfortable was he was like, you know, I, I could... You know, I could, I could look at that last crusade and, and what I preached there and see how much money came from that. And, oh, man, I could be tempted to be like that again. He said, I, I want a flat salary. And from that point on, they decided to go out from the major urban areas of uh, New York and Chicago, I believe, and a few others, and just find, found out what the average pay of a senior pastor was at a church. And they offered Billy Graham that amount plus 10%. And for the rest of his life, that's what he earned. He earned the salary of a lead pastor in a church. And it's a great model that many people have looked at. And, and our church planning network, by the way, that uh, many years ago, my salary that I had early on, actually even to this day, but was, was set by our church planning network, by our denomination, and by the churches who put me here. And in fact, they were the ones paying it for the first five years. Okay? So just, just so you know. But, so how do we do that? How, how should we do that? There's a point of why I'm going further into this kind of thing today, and I'll tell you that in just a second. But well, one of the ways that our church planning does that, network does that, is they look for a comparable in the marketplace to a position, a role that someone else might have that would be 
kind of equivalent. And one of those roles is the high school principal. I mean, they're, they're teachers, there's administration, there's leadership required, right? There's vision required, there's dealing with difficult situations required. And so just for your own information, guess what? Right now in Victoria and Vancouver, the average, what would you think is the average salary of a high school principal? Some of you are going to go, I should have went into that field. <laughs> it's anywhere between $125,000 and $155,000 a year. Yeah, I see some shocked faces. <laughs> That's what it is. That's in fact, can I just assure you something right now? Mine's nowhere close to the bottom figure, okay? <laughs> just don't get scared, okay? But here's the why I bring it up. Why I bring it up, actually, is see, Janice and I are late in life uh, church planters, pastors. We came here to Squamish, having been in the marketplace and business. We had some equity coming here. The person who follows on from me, 40, 42 years of age, hopefully will be younger, will have a family and be moving to Squamish. Do you know what that's like? You all do, right? So I've been trying to prepare the elders to be thinking about this. It's important that we be able to support that new buck when he gets here, okay? So that's why I wanted to go into that with you today. Point number two. So that's all about honor, honoring, double honoring, those who labor in the preaching and teaching and leading in the local church. Number two is dishonor. Verse 19. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So again, one of the things we've acknowledged in this letter is that it's obvious, and it's obvious from other letters, that uh, Paul is often responding to questions from his charge, <laughs> from Timothy, Titus, from the pastors in Corinth, Ephesus, it doesn't matter where. He's responding to questions or concerns. And so obviously he's, he's like Paul, you know, Timothy's writing to him, Paul, like, I, I got a problem here. Like, people are bringing charges against some of the other elders and against me, and, and, and you know, it's causing a problem here, and I don't know what to do. Um, so let's start there. Charges and complaints against elders and pastors and preachers happen all the time. All the time. Quite frankly, too often. They can be serious, which we're going to see in a second, but they can also be frivolous. They can be frivolous, but they're, they're, there's a charge. I, I tell everyone who comes to the eldership course, uh, by the way, if you do end up becoming an elder, um, you need to understand that there's going to be a target on your back. The enemy, Satan, doesn't like you, doesn't want you to lead the church well, does not want you to fulfill these character traits, does not want you to be faithful, doesn't want you to preach the word of God as it's written. So you're going to get that. But sadly, sadly, you're also going to get that from within the church itself. You just are. And so it happens. And so sometimes these darts don't just come from the enemy, but from members of the church. Um, people can take uh, every morning, and we're a small church, right? I remember one incident many, many years ago um, of people who no longer live in town, so I can say this, but I won't mention names. But I, I'm preaching a sermon on a, give, on a given morning, and I, and I used an illustration about this thing and this idea, and I said, no, I said that's, that's an example of this kind of a sinful behavior or whatever. Well, one person in the congregation was like, he's speaking specifically about me. And everybody in this room knows that. I was not. <laughs> I had no idea that they actually committed this. It was, it's a small thing. But. And then the very next week, that woman's husband at a meeting of the men felt I did the same thing as well. 
Well, it had to come to the elders. It did. It had to come. And like, I'm, I'm going, guys, I, I'm honestly, I no idea that you would take it that way. And I was not thinking of you. And the other elders all agreed and said, we, we understand the illustration of what he was, was doing. But it was a charge. It was dealt with. Unfortunately, not to their satisfaction. But it happens. It happens all the time. And so Paul's point here is this. Timothy, first and foremost, practice Matthew 18. With everyone in the church, but especially with elders. You all know how that works, right? Someone in the church, me, anyone, offends you, sins against you, does something that you you really feel is wrong. The first step Jesus in Matthew 18 tells you to do is go to that person. Go to your brother and sister and just say, hey, 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 I think this about what you did or didn't do. There's an opportunity for them at that time to do what I did, which is to say, I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't intend that at all, but I'm sorry. I really am sorry. Or I could say, forget it. Then Jesus says, bring a witness. <laughs> bring another person to confront this person to what? Repent and own up to it. Now, that other person can be a witness to your charge, but also to their plea, and that person can help weigh the evidence. And so what he's saying here is very, very important. He's saying, and emphatically, do not admit, which literally means do not make charges public unless there is clear evidence of sin, abuse, or fault. And if there is, then look what he says next. As for those, in verses 20 and 21, who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all. Did you hear that? Rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest of us may stand in fear. In the presence of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging, doing nothing from partiality. Now, if it is true that the first step of examination of the charge is important, so too is this, right? And before we look at uh, Paul's prescription, let's also consider this, because I think many of you may have experienced this before. I know it's been happening. It happens in churches all the time, sadly. It's been happening in a very large denomination in the United States. But sometimes what happens in churches is charges come forward about an individual in the church, but about a pastor or an elder. And you know what happens with those charges? They get what? Swept under the what? The carpet. Right? They, They do. They do. Shouldn't happen, but they do. Why? Why does that happen? A lot of reasons, but one of the primary reasons is, sadly, the the idea that some of the elders or leaders of the church has is, well, if this gets out, it's gonna it's gonna bring it's gonna dishonor God. It's gonna bring shame upon the church. And so we've got to keep it secret. We'll deal with it in house. Paul's saying, no, don't do that. That would be clearly wrong. And so thankfully, we have Paul's instructions here to guide us to the truth. What does he say? He says, first, note he says, for those who persist in sin. I haven't met a man in my life as a Christian uh, who's just your run-of-the-mill everyday member, attender, Christian in the church, let alone in leadership, who doesn't fail from time to time, who doesn't make mistakes. It, it, it It does, in fact, happen. And so this is about persisting. And what it means is, is that when you do the Matthew 18, they're like, 
I will not repent. That's persisting in sin. And so that takes it to another level. And so secondly, he says, rebuke them. Where? At the next elders meeting? (laughs) Well, sure. But if they continue to not repent, but persist in their sin, he says, you need to tell the church. Now, we all love the final phase of Matthew 18, don't we? We've had to go there once in 14 years in our church because of a situation, and many people in our church didn't like it when we as leaders and elders did it, when we actually took it to the church. Didn't like it. I understand. (laughs) I didn't like it. But it had to be done about a member of our church. But there's reasons, and the Scripture gives us that, that we need to do that, and there's a follow-up on that that should happen. So it's to be done in public. It's to be done in public. The whole church needs to know. If it's a sinning elder, especially a leader in the church, especially this is the case. So we need to be careful about this, however, because some of us might say, well, the reason why I don't like it being brought public about just a member of the church is because that could be me. One day. But an elder? A leader? Oh, yeah. Be careful. Be careful. If that ever happens in our church, please be careful. He says, in the presence of God and Christ and the elect angels, there's no sweeping this under the rug. There, right? Some of us are so gullible, we think that, well, I can get away with this. Or I can do that. We're going to see in the end, no, you can't. But also you can't because God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the angels, they see what's going on. It can't be hidden, certainly, from them. So he gives us a couple of provisos, though. The first proviso in when we do this, he says, don't prejudge. You see, sometimes you can be on an elder board or in leadership or even in the church, and you can go, you know what? Kind of expected it from that guy, right? It's like, just... But then he also says, don't show partiality. Well, that, that, in other words, don't stick up for a person or another elder that is your best buddy, your golfing buddy. Don't, hey, don't show partiality. Don't prejudge someone who you just, you didn't really get along with that well anyway, because that can happen. But then secondly, this idea here of partiality as well. And so don't dishonor. And so friends, fail, failures like this do happen. And this is what causes dishonor to the local church is if we keep these things secret. That dishonors the Lord. That dishonors the church. Verse 22, he goes on to say this. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. I remember the first time many years ago, but even this week as I'm reviewing this, I'm reading that going, hold hold on. What what, what just happened here? Like laying the hands on what? On on the sinner? On the elder who's... no. He's actually reminding him back to when the appointing of elders back in chapter 3, and he's saying, so listen, make sure you follow the script in the way that you assess a potential elder. Don't just look at some guy and go, man, this guy, like he's a multimillionaire, you know, he's got a bus, I don't know, whatever the qualification might be, and you're thinking, that guy should be on the elder board. Be very careful. Don't be quick. We have a process here at the Rock Church. Many of you who have seen us bring elders forward, they have to take the biblical eldership course for eight weeks. They then need to pray about it. They also need to be affirmed by their wife. And then they need to meet with us as elders for six to nine months. Why? To see what being an elder looks like. And we get to assess them. They get to assess the calling. And then they're either affirmed by us and then by you as a church or not. 
And so Paul's saying, don't be quick. But I love it also what he always does. He always says, by the way, by the way, keep a good eye on yourself too, Timothy. I'm telling you this because you've got people who charges are coming out against. But, you know, don't get too, you know, prideful. This could happen to you too, young man. And he would be reminding, of course, Timothy of the day when Paul called all the elders of Ephesus. Remember that in Acts chapter 20? It'll be on screen. His words to them about wolves that would be coming were also these. Pay careful attention to yourselves. In Acts 20, 28. And to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church which he obtained with his own blood. It's one of the reasons why we call those who are in Christ blood-bought family. You've been purchased by the blood of Christ. And so he always reminds them that, listen, yeah, you've got to be on the lookout for wolves and false teachers and all the rest of that, but you better be on the lookout for your own heart, leader, pastor. It's a great reminder. Verse 23, notice it's in parenthesis. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ail- ailments. And so the whole letter is written to Timothy, but it's written to Timothy to bring to the church. And this is a little bit, okay, but this is, this is just for you. Because Timothy was known to be a little timid, but also that he had some ongoing health program problems, pardon me, and, and Paul is simply saying, to him, hey, listen, it's also thought that maybe he was being a little syncretistic and thinking that, well, you know, you know, you know the, 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 the priests weren't allowed to drink. They stopped drinking, so I shouldn't drink. And Paul's saying, like, have a, and can I just highlight that word without any, any sense of humor whatsoever? Little wine, Right? Have a little for your stomach's sake. And that's a little aside for him. So finally, then he ends with these words. The sins of some people in verses 24 and 25 are conspicuous. (laughs) They're just, they're right there. They're obvious. Going before them to judgment. But the sins of others, they might appear later. So also good works are conspicuous. And even those that are not cannot remain hidden. That's really, that's really uh, encouraging for some of us in the church. There are a lot of people at the Rock Church and over the years who, you know, quietly, behind the scenes, go and serve like crazy. They do beautiful, wonderful things for the sake of the kingdom of God, and they're not up front here like me, right? What, what, what this is getting at is the Lord sees, the Lord knows, and you know what? One day it will be. My favorite example of that is a man, I won't mention his name, but he worked at Union Gospel Mission for years. He, he gave up the opportunity to advance several times in business to very, very high levels. Instead, he wanted to be a delivery man on a truck for a furniture company. And he wanted to do that because he wanted to work with men who were coming off the drug and alcohol recovery program at Union Gospel Mission and invite them to work with him. And I remember watching, his first name was Jack. I remember watching him for the three and a half years where I worked there at Union Gospel Mission, and this guy was just so humble and quiet, and nobody knew who he was. I had to keep asking him questions. Who are you? What church do you go to? What? And nothing. Nobody ever, you know, people at the mission knew who he was. They loved him, but he didn't want it broadcast. Well, about three to five years ago, the church that he goes to in Vancouver decided, well, enough of that. And they had a day, surprised him, and brought him up on stage in front of almost 2,000 people at that church and said, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jack. And by the way, this is Jack. I remember seeing that, and I'm getting emotional. I loved it so much. I loved it so much. Sins will catch up to us, but good works will too. (laughs) That's good news, right? So look, in conclusion, I thought I'd ask a few questions that might be lingering in some of our minds about a text like this today. 
you might be asking one of two questions. Why should I care about this? I mean, Glenn, you should care about this. You're, you're a pastor teacher. You should care about your salary. You should care about these things. Or how about another question? Um, what's in this sermon for me? Now, listen, I, I'm sorry if that comes across the wrong way, but that, listen, you can come on a Sunday and you can be coming here today with a lot of hurt and pain, right? And you can be like, I, I, I need a nugget. I need something to be encouraged by today. I get that. We know. We understand that. But the answer to that question, actually, that last question is actually the answer to the first question. Why you should care. Why we should care, church. And the answer is, the best answer I can give you is, we should care. We, we are a family here at the church. I, I, I'm just this guy who does this job, this, this role. But we're a family. And so we need to care about our elders and our pastors and our preachers and teachers. We, we need to care that they're healthy. We need to care they're doing okay in their marriage. We need to care that they have enough to live on. We do. We should. Just like we should care about each other. And, and why at the end of the day is that most important? Well, again, we are a family. But the other is this. We're on mission together. We're on mission together as the church. And in order to do that, we need to be a strong and healthy family that cares about every single individual in this church, including, dare I say, your elders and your pastors. Pray with me, would you? Yeah, gracious Heavenly Father, uh, we are... Lord, I'm so grateful. I'll just speak for myself this morning as I pray. I'm so grateful for our church family. Um, I know there are many people away today, Lord, and I, I can just see their faces and I can think of them as well. And so, Lord, we, we are, I, I want to thank you for such a faithful and good church on that level. Um, Father, I just want to thank you for the faithfulness of those who are in this church who have supported the elders, have honored them with respect for many, many, many years, who honor uh, those of us who are uh, paid pastors by, by taking care of us and providing for us financially. Lord, I thank you for that. Lord, we as a church, um, we know, Lord, that, uh, that it's very difficult to live for all of us in this community, even though we love it here, like to buy a house, to pay rent. It's, it's, these are difficult times. So, Lord, we are all struggling with these things, Lord. I pray for every member of this church, every family, uh, like ourselves, the Janice and I, who had to re-up our mortgage three months ago. Yeah, things are, things are getting difficult again. So what I pray, I pray for our church. I pray that you would provide for us financially. You have always been faithful, Lord. I know you've been faithful to Janice and I in immense ways, and I know you'll be faithful to the members of our church too. So Lord, we thank you for how you provide for us, how you care for us. More than anything, Lord, I pray as we continue in this text in Timothy that you would help us to understand how we are to treat one another in the household of God, in the family of God and that we would do the one thing that Jesus said we should do more than anything else, that we would love one another, that we would truly love one another, and would be seen in that way. So we pray these things in your worthy name, Jesus. Amen.